Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15, and I'll just read through the passages. This is the longest of the commandments in the Bible, and it's unique in many ways, as we'll find out in a minute. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning where we can gather together to worship you and to praise you, Lord, and to learn something more about you from your word. Father, pray that you'll be with each of us here this morning, Lord. Father, help me to trust in you and you alone. And I pray that you will open our hearts and our ears, Lord, to see what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we live in a burnout culture. If you look at any of the newspapers, you will see that we already work the longest hours in Europe, and yet we lose billions and billions of pounds every single year because people have to leave work because of stress, because of fatigue, or because of mental breakdown. Many of you will know as well the different Hollywood films which center on the theme of a loving but ultimately flawed father because he can't spend any time with his children, because he's always busy, he's always out at work. Eventually, the father often loses the children through some sort of bitter divorce. This has happened recently to one of the pupils in one of my classes. But unlike the Hollywood film, there's been no happy ending for him, with the father realizing the errors of his ways and coming back home. Instead, what we're left with is emotionally damaged people. And yet there seems to be some sort of controversy because on the one hand, we have doctors and management gurus telling us to slow down, we've got to take it easy. And then on the other hand, we have society telling us, no, you must work harder, you must pursue materialism and find fulfillment in something in this world. And so we come to the fourth commandment, and it is a difficult one to preach on. In fact, I think Peter said to me that it's one of the, command, one of the sermons he's done before, where he's actually had people come up to, up to him afterwards and have arguments with them. So thank you, Peter, for uh, handing this one to me. But there's very little disagreement about the other nine commandments. Whether we keep them or not, there's very little disagreement about what they're saying to us. However, when it comes to the fourth commandment, there's a range of views, even amongst my closest friends. There are some say we've got to observe the Sabbath, as it was in the Old Testament on the Saturday. There are others who say we should take the Sabbath requirements from the Saturday and transfer them onto the Sunday. And still other Christian believers say, we're free from all Sabbath requirements, and it no longer applies to us. I'd like us this morning to try and understand why God gave us this fourth commandment, and to come to some sort of understanding and, and see what it's actually saying to us today. 
Now, we're going to be focusing on Deuteronomy, but we're going to have to move, and I apologize for this, from round about the Bible. So if you keep your fingers in Deuteronomy, but we will be flicking back and forth to a number of different verses. First thing that we need to try and remember is the Sabbath is God's gift to man. Long before Moses ever received the law, the Sabbath was first observed by God. In Genesis 2 and 2, you'll find that on page 4 in your Bibles, right at the beginning. We read in verse 2 of chapter 2, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, God didn't need to rest, but he chose to. He did rest. And the reason he did this was to give an example for us to emulate. God's work was done, and so he decided to rest. And this was God's gift to man, the Sabbath rest. Now, through Moses, God went on to add a number of clear and uncompromising restrictions and sanctions to the Sabbath in order to help the Israelites keep them. In the passage we read in the beginning of Deuteronomy 5 and 12, if you want to turn back to there, we learn that it was to be a holy day, and nobody was to do any work on that day. No men, no women, as Peter pointed out earlier on, not even animals and foreigners. Everybody was supposed to rest on that day. And over 70 times in the Old Testament, the Sabbath and its restrictions are mentioned because God wanted the people of Israel to keep it as a holy day. He wanted to give a blessing, a day of blessing, when people could rest, when they could worship, and when they could readjust their focus back onto their Creator. So that was the first reason it was given. But the second reason, and there's no need to turn to this, because I'll just mention it very quickly, what it, it was given in order that other nations might see that Israel had a covenant or a relationship with God. Read in Exodus 31 and verse 17 that this was given as a sign that God had a relationship with his people. But how quickly we forget, and we do it ourselves, we very quickly forget the provisions of grace that God gives us. And instead, we look to turn God's gifts into a burden. You see, the Jewish people were not merely happy with the blessing they were given from God and to follow the instructions he'd given them, and so they added 1,500 other laws on which they had to follow to observe the Sabbath. He just mentioned some of them this morning, but a couple of favorites of mine include the fact that you could lift a child on the Sabbath, but not if the child was holding a stone. Then the child became a burden and you couldn't pick them up. My personal favorite has got to do with hunting, not because I enjoy blood sports, but just because of, of how the, the command goes that the Jews put together. If your body was covered in fleas, and they were biting you, you couldn't swat them on the Sabbath, because that would be deemed to be hunting. <laughs> Orthodox Jews today continue with a lot of these rules. One is not allowed to travel more than two stories on a Sunday. So they get around this by getting off at every second floor, which, if you're living on floor 324, means you might get home by Tuesday, if you are lucky. <laughs> you see, the Pharisees turned God's beautiful gift into a burden. And it's no wonder when Jesus came, he said to them, you hypocrites. 
Jesus came to restore the law and to fulfill it to its true purpose. And he challenged the Pharisees by pointing out the true purpose of the Sabbath. Again, you might not want to flick to this, but in Mark 2 and 27, he states that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus was showing here that once we become legalistic about the Sabbath, we seem to miss the point. We were not made to glorify the Sabbath, rather the Sabbath was given to us as a gift. Now Jesus went on to contradict the Pharisees on several occasions. In fact, I think he took particular delight on doing this on the Sabbath. He showed that acts of necessity and healing can and ought to be done. There are several places, but most significantly, six times he healed people on the Sabbath. Again, you can look these up later on, but he healed the man with the shriveled hand in Matthew 12, the invalid at the pool of Bethesda in John 5. He healed the man who was born blind in John 9, the crippled woman in Luke 13, and the man who, who suffered from dropsy in Luke 14. Jesus even approved of his disciples gathering grain on the Sunday when they were hungry, and he challenged the Pharisees and their interpretation of the Sabbath. So where does that leave us as a Christian church today in regards to Sabbath observance? Well, the word Sabbath in Hebrew has two meanings. The first of these meanings is seven. Hence the Sabbath was to be the seventh day of the week, the Saturday. But teaching the New Testament seems to contradict this. Artie Kendall points out that the Sabbath is never mentioned once in the New Testament in terms of what Christians are to keep. I never knew that until I actually looked into, into researching for the sermon. Every other commandment is confirmed in the New Testament, but there is no mention in any of the epistles that commands Sabbath keeping. And Sabbath breaking is never included as a sin. In fact, quite the opposite seems to be the case. The Old Testament Sabbath observance seems to be rescinded in some ways by New Testament teaching. There's a couple of verses I'd like you to turn with me to, and the first of these is Romans 14, verse 5. You'll find that on page 100, 1140 in the Church Bibles. Romans 14 and 5. Now Paul here is teaching about debatable issues in the Christian life. And he says the following. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now it would have been impossible for Paul to say that in Old Testament times without being accused of heresy. Remember, the Sabbath day was supposed to be holy. For Paul to be able to say that every day is, or, or no day is more sacred than another, would have been heresy. The second passage is to be found in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. And you'll find that on page 1183. Colossians 2, 
16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, they're difficult uh, verses, those. But in the Old Testament, God commanded that the Israelites were to judge each other in terms of Sabbath violation. To the point of actually, in Exodus 31, it talks about how people were to be put to death for breaking the Sabbath. Here, God's now saying they weren't even allowed to judge each other. And he talks about how the, ha- the Sabbath was a foreshadowing of something greater that was to come and where fulfillment could be found. Now, one more point I want to make very briefly before moving on is that it would seem most importantly of all that the early church did not observe the Sabbath. For them, Sunday, the first day of the week, very quickly became the day of worship for Christians. But this is something that happened traditionally. First of all, we read in Acts 20 and 7 that the congregation at Troas met to break bread in order to remember Jesus. The Corinthian church, we also know, put time aside on the Sunday to meet together to bring alms and collections for the poor. And the first day of the week became traditional, because that's the day when Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the day when the Spirit came at Pentecost. But this is the important bit. The early Christian church did not take the Jewish Sabbath and transfer it to the Sunday. They did not take the Sabbath observances and transfer them to the Sunday. In fact, most of them worked on the Sunday because everybody else had been resting on the Saturday. They worked all day on the Sunday, and then they'd meet in the evening to break bread and to remember the Lord. For many of us, and I include myself in this, and many of my friends I know as well have been brought up in similar backgrounds, we brought up in churches where Sunday had become the Christian Sabbath. No football, no TV, no reading of secular books, Christian books were fine, no listening to secular music. And it's only in researching again for this sermon that I've come to learn that it's through church history and tradition, rather than anything binding that's in God's word, that these rules and dogmas were brought about. In fact, it wasn't until 321 AD when Emperor Constantine forbade people to work that Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, became the traditional day for Christians to meet. The early reformers as well, they insisted that people meet together to, to, to rest and to be refreshed. But Luther said it didn't matter what day of the week it was, as long as people were resting one day in seven. Then Puritanism came into England, and the reformers all became strict Sabbatinitarianists. That great man of God, Jonathan Edwards, said he would never utter anything humorous on the Sunday. So I can imagine his sermons must have been quite a hoot. (laughs) No work was allowed and no amusement of any kind whatsoever. One of my favorite stories comes from Scotland, where the Presbyterian church were particularly notorious for their sets of rules. One Sunday morning, a pastor couldn't get his horse and buggy out because of the snow, so he decided to ice skate down the river in order to get to church on time. And when he got there, instead of being congratulated for getting there to, to deliver the sermon, he was hauled before the church council on charges of enjoying leisure activities on the Sunday. Thankfully, he managed to get himself off by saying as he skated down to church that morning, he hadn't enjoyed himself even once on the way to church. Through church history then, I believe, we have uh, resorted to the ways of the Pharisees 
in transferring the rules of the Sabbath to what has traditionally become the Lord's Day. And this is the important bit. The danger is when we, like the Pharisees, think we are making ourselves right because of our external actions, when internally we are dirty. We've all done it. I've done it. Perhaps not necessarily in terms of the Sabbath, but in terms of other things. We can put on an external act when internally we are dirty. And God says to us in situations, as he did the Pharisees, you hypocrites. God's not interested in the outward appearance. He's interested in our obedience to him. Not the burdens created by men. Remember then that God's gift to men was the Sabbath rest. But it's not something we should be doing to try and impress others. So does that mean we're freed of the Sabbath altogether? Shall I just sit down at this point and we'll agree to call the Nine Commandments the Ten Commandments? Well, I don't think so. Because despite the fact that I've suggested that the Old Testament Sabbath has been rescinded by New Testament teaching, we cannot ignore the Sabbath principle. This was set long before the law was given, and it was set, as we've already read about in Genesis 2, when God rested from his work as an example that we must follow. So the reason the Sabbath was given is quite clear. The Sabbath was created in order for man, men and women, to rest. Now the Sabbath comes from a root, the word Sabbath, the Hebrew word comes from a root word which means to cease or to stop. So really the Sabbath should be the cease day, the stop day, as God did in Genesis 2 when he rested after creating the world. Now, one thing I want us to note, which is very important, and it's very rarely talked about when people talk about the Sabbath or preach about the Sabbath or any of the books on the Sabbath, and that's to be found in Deuteronomy 5, the passage we read earlier on, and verse 13. Deuteronomy 5 and 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Very important point. We were created to work. There's a great deal in the New Testament as well that's written there about how we're supposed to work and for the believer to work very hard. But sadly, we take that instruction too far. Too many of us have become workaholics. I've done it myself on occasions where we work constantly without taking any breaks whatsoever. And it's no surprise that doctors point out that workaholics suffer from the most stress-related diseases and problems such as high blood pressure and premature heart attacks. It's no surprise the doctors say that, because that is the way God created us. We are created in such a way that we need to take regular breaks. So God created us to work, but not to work all of the time. He commanded that we must take one day in seven as a break. In fact, this was for all creation. It talks about in, Genesis, in Exodus as well, how the land was to be left to fallow for one year and seven as well, so it would be rejuvenated. And we're to follow the same example. I think it's rather amusing that it's taken production analysts thousands of years since God came up with this law to work out that regular breaks will lead to increased productivity in the workplace. So we need to be recharged. We need to be recharged emotionally, 
We need to be recharged spiritually and we need to be recharged physically. Now, I'll say this next bit with caution, but sometimes necessity dictates that we can't have a day of rest, that we miss a day of rest. And once is not going to kill you. But if you fail to indefinitely take a day of rest, if you constantly miss your day of rest, your emotions, your body, and your spirit will become damaged. And eventually, they may even be destroyed. You see, God set the example that rest must be observed one day in seven. And there is no known substitute for this. The Bible commands us that we must rest and that we must be refreshed. But what does rest mean? Some of us might think a day of rest involves sitting in front of the television and not doing very much. You could try that, but I'm afraid you won't be restored and refreshed by doing that. You see, rest is not the same as idleness. Rest is different. In the Bible, the rest that is talked about is often talked about in terms of delighting in the Lord. Peter read to us the passage earlier on from Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. And I'll just read it to you again. You don't need to look this up. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not pleasing yourself by speaking idle words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. The day of rest for the Christian then has got to do with a lot more than just sitting around and doing nothing. But I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts of what must be done on the Sabbath. I think we've been, we talked about we're freed from the legalism of Sabbatarian observance. But there is one principle I think that we cannot ignore, and that is the principle of worship, which God has given us as a wonderful blessing. Now, our whole life should be worship. Every day we should be worshiping the Lord with, with the actions that we do. And whilst the fourth commandment doesn't talk about worship specifically, throughout the Old Testament, in other places where it talks about the Sabbath, it often talks about it in terms of the Jews gathering, the Israelites gathering together to worship the Lord in the same way as the early Christians did. Worship included teaching, included fellowship, included times of prayer together, and included, most importantly of all, gathering around the Lord's table to remember that he had died on the cross and that he was now with them, having risen from the dead. So our rest must include so much more than just doing nothing. We need to take the time to worship the Lord and find our rest in him. Now, not being a new mother, I'm not sure if this is right or not, but a new mother once remarked to her pastor that all her newborn baby seemed to ever do was eat and sleep. And people, some of the, young, oh, some of the mothers of the young children, having had sleepless nights, must say, if only that was the case. But there's a small truth in there for the believer, and especially for the young uh, Christian, that what we should be doing is eating and sleeping when it comes to rest. The eating we should be doing is not to be gluttonous and feed ourselves, but it's to spend time feeding on God's Word and spend time worshipping Him. And the sleeping we should be doing is not to be lying in our beds doing absolutely nothing, though that can help us as well to, to, to relax and rejuvenate, but it's to spend time resting 
in Christ. And this brings me to my final point this morning. The Ost is to be found in a person, not a particular day. It's a Sabbath rest that's far more important than anything that's spoken about by Moses in Deuteronomy. If you turn again to the passage we read in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5 and 15. We read that, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The Israelites were told to remember the Sabbath because they were once slaves in Egypt, but they'd now been redeemed by God. Observing the Sabbath day and keeping it holy was one way for them to show that they had been redeemed, that they were no longer under bondage. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, but he also took it to a much deeper level. Jesus fulfilled the, the, the law, but his work on the cross meant that he came to provide the eternal rest. If you can turn, please, with me to Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus died on the cross and poured out his blood, he established a new covenant with us. We need to remember that in Christ we become new creations. And we've been liberated from bondage, but not bondage in Egypt, like the Israelites were, but from the bondage of sin. For many of us here today who might be struggling with different issues, and you can't find rest, you say, well, I can't find peace by taking my days off and spending time with the Lord. You've got to understand that the ultimate rest is in Christ and through Christ. We can look forward one day to a great feast when we find our ultimate rest with Christ in heaven. And therefore, the Sabbath rest, the ultimate Sabbath rest, is to be found in a person, not a particular day. The author of Hebrews picks up this theme. It's the last little bit I'd like to look up this morning, which is to be found in Hebrews 4, verse 8 to 11. The author of Hebrews here takes up the theme that Jesus is our true rest, and he compares the temporal rest that Joshua provided for Israel with the ultimate superior rest to be found in Christ. I'll read from verse 8 to 11 of Hebrews 4. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. You see, the eternal and, and superior and uh, secure spiritual rest that is found in Christ is far greater than the rest that could have been provided by Joshua when he led the people into the promised land where they could rest. Jesus completed his work, his redemptive work on the cross, and it is that that grants us an eternal Sabbath rest for those who enter into a loving relationship with him. We've talked about days and we've talked about the rest. 
there is a holy day. It's talked about in the Bible. And that day is today. That day is today and every day when God calls on us to respond to him and to rest in him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I urge you to think about where you will find your peace and your rest. You certainly won't find it in anything the world can provide. The only place it can be found is through trusting in Jesus, entering into a relationship with him. If you are a Christian here today and you're perhaps you're struggling with a number of issues, again, you won't find that rest in any place other than in turning to Jesus and giving him your burdens and allowing him to take them upon him. As a day approaching in the future, it's a date, day when all believers will enjoy their ultimate rest. It's a day of restoration for all of creation. But in the meantime, as we wait for that day, we can find an eternal rest, safe in the knowledge that Christ has completed the work. He has done the work on our behalf. And so we can rest. What we need to do is to continue to celebrate the finished work of Christ and to enjoy resting in him. Let's pray. As we bow our heads just now, let's just spend a few minutes in quiet reflection. Thinking about how we spend our time, whether we do take time off to, to rest from the busyness of work, whether we do take time on our rest days to spend time with, with God and to, to worship him and to delight in him, Let's also think where also we find our ultimate rest through Christ Jesus and to thank him for the work he's done on the cross. Father, we thank you for your word and what we can learn from it. We thank you, Lord, that you also know what is best for us. That you created us in a way that we need rest, but also that you provided that rest for us by setting the example in the beginning. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we have been workaholics, for the times that we haven't taken time out, for the times when we're too busy to spend time with you and to acknowledge that you are lords of our lives. Help us, Lord, to trust in you at all times, and especially when we're troubled. Lord, to know that you are our rest, our ultimate rest. Help us to continue to have faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.